Welcome to another session on the assistant situation. My guest today is Tyler Bloom, um, who is a former superintendent from the Baltimore area who has uh, started his own consulting, recruiting, uh, workforce development business called Tyler Bloom LLC. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks for having me here, Peter. Appreciate it. Give us uh, give us the thumbnail version of your uh, your work history and and what brought you to the point of starting this uh, consulting workforce development business. Yeah, so my 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 career has been evolved around golf. I think like most people, um, got into it just based off my pure love for the game. Uh, started working when I was 15 years old at a small private club called Berwick Golf Club. And um, Frosty Valley Country Club was another local club that I worked at in high school. And um, like you said, went to Penn State. I got a four-year degree from there and, you know, was fortunate to work for some really good mentors, some really good clubs, Marion, Southern Hills, uh, Muirfield Village, Oakmont, and then Sunnybrook before I landed my first superintendent's job at Sparrows Point. And um, I've always been somebody who... I don't know what's the right word, but gravitated towards team development, team coaching, management consulting, just always had a appreciation or passion for those kind of things. And uh, got this crazy idea probably right around 2017, 2018. And then I started kind of integrating with <clears throat> different people in workforce development, could be Department of Labor representatives, could be high school counselors. And I started researching um, all about this sort of realm of talent acquisition. And we, fortunately, as a superintendent, um, you know, out of necessity, I had to learn how to build my team from within. So we, we couldn't post and, and attract individuals with a turf degree. I mean, literally, I had to build our assistants from the ground up. Um, and because why of was, that, Why was that specifically? Something specific to, to Sparrow's point? I think so. I mean, obviously the economics of the club weren't, you know, weren't in our favor to attract somebody with a two-year, four-year degree, a certificate. Um, I think the location, you know, in proximity to other great clubs, whether that be Baltimore Country Club, Caves Valley, you know, not far from the DC market, Congressional, Woodmont, a little bit more household names, you know. So I, ironically, what's, what's funny, I say that, and we actually had an intern from the University of Maryland and it was all based upon his, his interview with us. He stopped by because he was local and he had met with our team who was in the midst of some training videos that we were doing. And we had high school students there and he kind of observed what was going on and said, I feel like I'm going to learn more coming to a place like this because I'd be integrated into staff development, coaching and training. That's what I, that's what I really want to be a part of. So it's kind of an ironic story. I think like a lot of my peers at the time, we kind of saw the writing on the wall of where this labor issue was going, enrollment numbers, many of the things that have been discussed on these webinars. And, and it finally was just for me a push of, hey, I'm going to follow my passion. Like, I, I don't want to look back and regret that I didn't follow this pathway of whatever this business evolves to be. Um, and certainly it's much different two years later than what it was in June of 2020. You know, here we are, and now we're doing assistant searches as as really a, a primary business model for us. Equipment manager searches, primarily companies reach us, reach out to me and our team, um, 
to help facilitate search processes because of function they just don't have the time or they don't know the wherewithal to find people. Fast forward a couple of years and we're in this situation. Now, obviously, if you've listened to, you know, some of the sessions we've had already, there are myriad opinions. Um, hey, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It, every situation is different. What's your take on uh, why specifically we are in such a dearth of assistance right now? There's not enough people getting into the industry at, at a, I think it's more at the youth age personally. And then you, you compound that with wages that weren't very attractive in comparison to, to other industries, you know, where somebody can make 60, 70, $80,000 off a four-year degree. So it's really kind of hard um, to, to keep somebody retained. And then you add on to it, the hours, the, the differences in, in club climates and club cultures, you know, all those things compound it, but it's, it's really the fact of an awareness right at the youth age that this is a career pathway and then supplemented with all those other factors. You know, if you look internally, what have we done? Superintendents, including myself, I was that person at one point. What was I doing to actually build a place, a culture that people wanted to be at? And then was I able to support them in their growth development? And, uh, you know, fortunately, I got lucky. I got in a situation where I was forced to change. I had to change. I had no choice. So I had to change. I had to learn to build the at the crew level. Uh, more of a structured on-the-job training program, knowing that it doesn't fix the problem right now in the next six months, 12 months. But a year from now, those people will probably have more skill sets to do specialized jobs, whether it's spraying, irrigation, crew management. Just a, a couple of random questions, two-year degree or four-year degree? A four-year degree. I'm talking about going into the business now. Oh, yeah. That two-year level certificate, I think online certificate training, it fixes our, our our challenges right now for the industry. I think it's a big question mark whether whether a hiring committee for a superintendent's job would value that certificate level to the same of a two-year or four-year. But yeah, one of the questions that's come up now with this, you know, this spike of the cost of higher education, and coupled with. Um, the historical <clears throat> uh, compensation level of assistance into, into superintendents. You know, let's face it, a, a Penn State for uh, even for in-state students is has got to be 25, 30,000 bucks a year. So, you know, you've got 100 to 125,000 bucks invested in your education uh, for a four-year program. Um, how does that get rationalized with, with the, um, uh, the salary levels or, you know, do you think the salary levels as have increased over the last four or five, six months remarkably, is that going to be sufficient? I think it's going to be hard to justify a four-year degree when you're only making 45 to 60,000. Again, when you look at comparable industries, and those are, let's call it tech, health, um, even manufacturing type things, you know, I personally see a shift, and, and we see this working with educators, 
Okay. So that's another section of my business. We don't dive into too much, but working in workforce development, I would tell you from the high school, even the middle school level, there is now an emphasis on these certificate uh, trade type training because they recognize not every student it can a afford to go to a two-year four-year college um b may not even have that interest and so the trades as a whole are getting a, a ton of support from the from the federal government through apprenticeship grants on the job training grants for more of these you know certificates and short course type setups in any case so here we are today we've got a problem what is the superintendent of today or the industry as we know it what aren't we doing most superintendents right now are if, if they're in the search process they're 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 seeing it face they're seeing it face on the superintendents that go into that search with an open mind and that they may have to adjust through that process not only their expectations but the expectations of their club are going to have more success in a search process. And the example I give is just based off of pay. A, a superintendent could qualify an assistant and say, we're going to put this person at $60,000, which in many regions of the country, that's, that's a high number. That superintendent, if they're going through a process and they're really qualifying what they need, as that candidate pool comes in, they may see, well, this person really is you know, five or six years of experience plus an education, those candidates aren't leaving their jobs for 60,000. They're leaving their jobs for 70 to 80. So a superintendent might have to adjust that, that salary real time in a search. They may also, if they're not, if they're, if that candidate pool is more of what I would term an AIT, maybe somebody who's got one to three years of experience and education is that person really a seventy dollars to $80,000 candidate? Every club's going to determine that differently. But I think a lot of superintendents, from my observation, are saying, well, this isn't really an assistant of what I'm looking for. And in some cases, they end up overpaying for a candidate. Or they're having to adjust on the fly and saying, you know what? Our expectations for this role probably needs to change a little bit to accommodate this, this level of candidate. They may get a candidate that's got eight years of landscape experience, but no golf course experience. That happens quite a bit. And, and I think a superintendent who's open-minded to say, you know what, they have transferable skills, but we're going to give this person a chance. And we know in six to 12 months, maybe sooner, they're going to pick this up. Clubs are having to do that. So just being a little bit more open-minded um, in a search process could, could honestly help them. Whereas the, the, the supers are the clubs who say, nope, they've got to have these experience levels and, and this level of education. They may not get that candidate pool. So how do they adjust on the fly? And the biggest thing is just, like I said, is being open-minded that, hey, I'm going to have to change. Like we're going to have to take it. We're going to have to take a chance on somebody who maybe doesn't have the experience. And maybe we're going to have to pay more to be attractive. It's not what we want to do. But it's kind of what we have to do or are you going to sit on that position being unfilled for six to nine months the the job listing descriptions themselves um you know i i deal with a lot of people who particularly the ones who call me are the the sole owners or whatever that that they put together a 
a, um, a job listing and then wonder why they don't get anybody applying. So, I'll, you know, I'll go in and look at it. And maybe the first two paragraphs or first 150 words are about the, you know, the history of the club and designed by such and such. And we have X number of rounds and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, as opposed to right out of the gate saying, this is what we're offering, whether it's a low cost of living, whether it's a lot of recreational activities or, you know, whatever the area has to offer, the type of club, stability of workforce, you know, all that kind of stuff is, do they sell themselves well enough, do you think? Or are they putting up these minimum requirements as, well, if you want to come to work for us, this is what you have to be? Yeah, it's a great point. I think um, the simple answer is I think that we undersell ourselves. We, we don't talk about our value proposition, you know, the core values of our operation or me as a leader. I do see a lot more creativity right now, whether it's web pages, you know, landing pages for a job, uh, videos of the course. And so those are skills that I think are new to this. Uh, it's new to most businesses, not just the turf industry of being more marketable. You know, there's a, a saying I learned is, uh, you know, your, your personal brand is the function of your, it's digitizing your personal reputation. And we're in a digital space right now. So I think if I'm a superintendent and I'm looking at job postings, I would be looking at videos, creating just short 30 second clips, pictures of the golf course, pictures of your team members, testimonials from your employees that you could put on a nice landing page on a website. If you don't, and if you don't have the time to do it, then pay somebody to do it for you because it's going to be needed. Apprenticeship programs is something that, um, I'm somewhat interested in because I see that like over in the UK, you know, they have um, their level two, level three qualification tests and, and that kind of thing. And these are really on the job learning um, supervised by a, a college um, supervisor, mentor, whatever it happens to be with, with exams and that kind of thing. We don't have anything like that in this country at all. Is that something, is there a place for that? There absolutely is. And I will tell you that there are, there are states, you know, so and I'm not, this isn't a plug for me. I'll tell you the first person that ever told me about this was a gentleman by the name of Bill Murray. I uh, was a superintendent in New Jersey, him and uh, uh, Dave Mishkin. They created a state approved a registered apprenticeship um, in New Jersey for a local vocational school. And, and that was kind of at the time that I was already working with high schools and doing this. So I just kind of built my system similar to what they had. This mentorship, I mean, and it's very much cross-training people in different tasks. And so that person can progress from, like you said, level one entry-level type tasks. And we're talking, learn how to rake bunkers, learn how to operate backpack blowers, the very basics that we all enjoyed when we first started, then to more gradual advanced tasks, course setup, um, spraying, fertilization, irrigation, service repair, and, and really being intentional about that development plan for somebody. 
Where do you get these people from? I think they're evaluating existing team members, you know, primarily first to say, is this somebody that we could put them into this educational training program? And at the end of it, maybe have more, more skills or be a, an even greater asset for our operation. So I think that's one, but yeah, I mean, high schools, veterans, FFA, you know, the GCSA is doing that. Uh, this was two weeks ago. I was in Baltimore and DC for two days. The Mid-Atlantic Association of Superintendents uh, hosted two career, career day events. And we had over 80 plus educators from Baltimore County Public Schools and Montgomery County Public Schools. Those kind of grassroots initiatives are going to have to happen everywhere to make a big impact. And at the individual facility level. Who's got the time, right? That's the that's well, the yeah. You know, that's the argument that you know people are, you know, guys are paid to manage golf courses, not to you know develop somebody who may or may not walk in walk in the door, you know, four or five years out. Um, an even greater extreme for that, I think, is the first green, uh, which obviously serves a purpose, but you know, those are what third graders are something like that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's a long way off. What are quick, simple solutions? I mean, you see many clubs are hitting the great reset on wages. So I think the industry as a whole is making major strides in that. Again, I would, I would look at on existing, your existing team. So what's your take on this whole work-life balance thing? Um, you know, it's kind of a hot button and, and, uh, you know, if, if you listen to Tyler guys, um, rather forceful defense of, of the uh, balls to the wall, if you want to call it that superintendent um, experience, you know, which is valid. Um, on the other hand, you've got people who are, um, you know, sensitive to uh, the fact that, hey, there's a world out there. And um, I think that's, I don't think there's any denying the fact that that's a, a big issue in terms of um, how do you get people to even consider golf course management as a career? What's your take on that? Well, I'll speak on it from personal experience first. Um, and, and I think, again, everybody's going to have their own personal experience and what's important to them. And that's a very generalized comment. But for me, you know, early on in my career, I was that I was that person that was, I don't want to say live the bachelor life, but I was comfortable working those kind of hours, like what was traditional. And I think what is still expected to be, to be successful in, in, in many, many situations is working those kind of out, uh, crazy hours, right? That's, that's been part of it, it's right or wrong. That's been part of the job. I was also the person that, you know, I was kind of at a conflicting point where personal life, I had to make a decision. Am I going to, is this my future wife? And my future wife wasn't comfortable with the 80, 90 hour work weeks. You know, I made that personal decision that I'm going to follow that pathway and maybe try to find a facility that was, I don't want to say the expectations were less. That sounds super like derogatory to the employer. Cause that's not, that's not the case. The job is what the job is. But I probably found a little bit more balance for myself. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty because I will tell you, as I got to the later part of my career um, at Sparrows Point, the job wasn't easier. 
I mean, I was still putting in 60, 80 hour work weeks pretty consistently. That doesn't mean the rest of my staff was, you know, that career trajectory for me shifted the course, I think as a superintendent at the level of clubs that maybe I aspired to, to be at down the road. I will tell you as somebody who jumped into, into entrepreneurship amidst the pandemic, I work more hours now than I ever did as a superintendent and probably as much as I did as an, you know, young, young assistant. So life's not any easier. It's all about, you know, what my goals are and, and how I'm driven. And I think every person, and you've heard these conversations has a different life story and maybe why it's kind of pushed them into a, a certain direction. And there's no right or wrong. And I'll give an example of a superintendent who I think is, who has, my estimation, at least from a 10,000 foot view, has done a great job, at least theoretically, of what they do. A gentleman by the name of Eric Richardson, uh, who's a superintendent up at Essex County Club in Massachusetts. So when he brings on, let's call it a, an AIT, kind of that first line supervisor, you know, he really makes an emphasis that that role is probably 45 to 55 hours a week. And then he kind of graduates them as they, you know, take on more responsibility and become maybe a, a junior assistant. Well, then the expectation is going to kind of grow and you're going to put more hours in. By the time you're the senior level assistant, now you've been conditioned, you know, right or wrong in his, in his system, that now you're really more of like a superintendent and you're going to put in those 70, 80 hour weeks, maybe not for 12 months out of the year, but he's sort of conditioned them to, to take on that responsibility in probably a way that's more realistic for somebody versus what I see a lot of times is people putting somebody fresh out of college or younger and throwing them right into the fire at 70, yeah. 80 hours and they can't adjust. But I think, I think that's where we need to do a better job maybe as a whole is trying to coach people into that role, making sure that they're, you know, they can be can almost conditioned into taking on that, knowing that that's the job. Yeah, as getting back to Tyler's conversation with me, um, we we obviously had a longer conversation that I distilled down to his sort of rant at the end, which which was Great. good. But one thing he said was that um, he had considered leaving the business because he felt he had sort of hit that glass ceiling earnings wise and wasn't getting the superintendent job. You know, I I think with a lot of the a lot of the people, that whole concept or, or the situation that they find themselves in with um, young family or starting a family or wanting to, you know, to buy a house, that kind of thing um, suddenly doesn't, maybe they don't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of making that work for themselves and for their wife and spouse, whatever. Uh, you know, and, and I hear this and you probably do. Um, there's, there's a faction of the, you know, depending on who's listening to this, there's a faction of the industry that thinks you're doing people a disservice if you're not preparing them for those intense hours, because that's what the job entails at times. But, you know, it's like the political, there's like the extreme on this side, and there's an extreme on this side. I don't sure. think, I think if anybody thinks that you can be a successful superintendent at just 40 hours a week in, in the grand scheme of the majority, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to do that. But I don't know if, on the, on the flip side, 80 to hundred hours a week consistently, you know, it's not for everybody. And, and that's okay too. Like it's being realistic with where you're at in your operations 
um, and maybe being realistic too of what your influence is on an individual that you can't you can't force people to work like that for the majority of clubs. It's not going to work because they're going to leave. Okay, let's uh, sort of circle around the the wagons here and what can and should the average superintendent, or maybe it's on the chapter level, should be doing now to cultivate a workforce for the future? First off, making sure your workplace culture is a place that people want to come to. Is it safe? Is it organized? Is it professional? Do you offer some level of education and training? And it doesn't need to be a two-year, four-year degree like we talked about. It could be webinars. It can be um, a local chapter meeting. Um, I, th- I think that's step one. But outreach-wise? Outreach-wise, I think certainly hitting your local tech- technical schools, high schools, career centers. Um, if you aren't utilizing digital uh, social media for advertisement, I think you're, I think you're missing the game. Yeah. You want to get to the counselors because and the guidance counselors, because they're, they're the messengers. They're the ones that have the face-to-face time with those students to know who would potentially be wow. a good fit. Right. Uh, yeah. I would think that getting marketing materials, printed matter, if you will, into the hands of these counselors and, and educators at that vocational level would be huge it's hard for them to understand what a day in the life is. They, they really are going to struggle with that. So they need to see a video. They need to see what the facility looks like. So asking them to come on site isn't a bad outreach effort as well. Maybe what interests a student. And, and that's where the teachers are going to come in. And the guidance counselors are going to help with just being able to, uh, you know, give you that insight of what does a student today really want? What are they looking for? Cause it's hard for me to relate. It's hard for for many people, even older than I'm only 35, it's hard for people to relate to a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. What, what interests them? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? I don't see in the next two to four years. I think this is everybody's going to go through their own cycle of it. So make sure you take care of your existing team because you might find your best person on right there, right in front of you. Do most, do, do most courses or clubs that you deal with have a, have a mission statement? Or some sort of a document to aspire to in terms of how they operate, that kind of thing. I mean, something like that, just the process of developing one, I think, is very, very important. It's very few organizations, in my mind, take the time to do. I haven't seen it unless I found it on their website when we're trying to you know, help them with some of the marketing up front. We like to go through sort of an exploration phase to help them define certain traits of their business, you know, and their, of their team core values. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you a hundred percent. It's a, it's a great time to get alignment on that. Um, because if you don't know what it is, how are, how are other people going to get behind it? Yeah, exactly. If you don't know, if you don't know what you're doing or what your uh, your core values are, it's difficult to communicate that to others. That's for sure. Okay, Tyler, thank you. It was uh, it was a pleasure having you on, and um, stay in touch when you have that uh, light bulb moment that uh, we can help spread the word on to. Uh, get this situation under control.